her brothers and sisters in Christ, friends and family, the grace of the Lord Jesus the Messiah, the love of God our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And I, it's been my pleasure the last couple of years to call us back to our yearly theme. Our yearly theme, um, we usually get off track with things like Christmas and Lent and Easter and Mother's Day and holidays and and has uh, been my opportunity to bring us back to the yearly thing the last couple of years. And one year it was uh, get out of the boat, remind us that, that, you know, God, he can quiet the storms, but Jesus, he's still there with us in the storm also. So, and then one year it was uh, look and how people and God don't see things the same way. And this year our theme has been listen. And our uh, major verse for the year has been James 1.19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And so our shared faith teaches us the importance of relationships. Our relationships with the eternal Lord, our relationships between Jesus and the church, relationships between husband and wife, parent and child, even the importance of friendship, placing great value on the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now I'm back to a sin here in the South. I may not only get run out of church, but out of the whole state. You see, because even Ulysses S. Grant, even he saw the importance of friendship. He said, the friend in my adversity I shall always cherish most. I can better trust someone who has helped me relieve the gloom of my dark hours than those who are always ready to enjoy the sunshine of my prosperity. So the friend that's there on your dark day is a friend indeed. And with that being said, we're going to look at one of the oldest stories in the Bible. Job probably lived about the same time as Abraham. Uh, he predates the Jewish covenant with Abraham. He predates the, the uh, law that Moses gave. And if we were going to put it in chronological order, uh, the book of Job would have happened sometime in the middle of Genesis. But we group his story with the wisdom books because that was the tradition we inherited from the Hebrew Bible. And so since it's a big chunk to look at the whole story of his life, usually I say that we're going to... Um, use the analogy of eating crab legs. That we're going to take the verses and break them open and get the good stuff out. But it's too much to do that when we're looking at this whole book. So we're going to build a frame. Like, And when you're putting together a puzzle, you usually start on the corners, the outsides of the frame, so you can see the whole picture. And so that is going to be our frame. Our frame, we have one side will be the base of it. It's the Bible text, the actual scriptures. 
And then the context is one of our sides, and it's, it's the background, like the things we know about what's going on. Like Abraham lived, uh, and uh, Job lived around the same time. Just background information like that. That will help us see a bigger picture. And then some of the big ideas that shows up that the Holy Spirit put in here, because remember, the Holy Spirit, he, um, he inspires all Scripture. So the big ideas he puts in, and finally, when we're able to see the whole picture, we get it all together, we'll see what actions can we take from what the um, Bible story has told us. And so, we're going to look at Job, and we... And our, um, we're going to start with chapter 1. And chapter 1, verse 1, it says that there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So the Holy Spirit's letting us know right here, Job is a righteous man. He's blameless. There's going to be a lot of talking back and forth between people. Don't get distracted by all the things they say, all the things that Satan says, all the things that happens to Job, because God wants you to know, first and foremost, Job is a good man. He's righteous. If we skip down to verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. From the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? <coughs> Peter uses some of the similar words when he talks about Satan. He says he's uh, like a hungry beast that travels to and fro on earth just looking for souls, for people to devour. And... Here we see the council of elders. Some people have a problem with this idea of Satan being in heaven and going and talking to God. But this was a common scene in the Old Testament. There's the idea of the house of El, the house of God is a giant courtroom. and He'll call in the different angels that were in charge of different countries. And even the fallen angels like the prince of Persia in the book of Daniel, would have to come and answer before the Lord Jehovah when he called him. And so the day for everyone to make an accounting was there, and Satan was supposed to come and tell him all the things that he's been doing. And um, God said, well, have you considered Job? And Satan's like, Job, the only reason he loves you so much is because you bless him so much. You give him all this uh, prosperity. You give him good health. And I tell you, that Job, if you took all everything away from him, uh, he would turn his back on you. And God started telling us that Job's a righteous man. So he knew what would happen. So he tells Satan, go ahead, take anything you want, just don't harm him. And so... The next day, I like to call it Job's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Based on Alexander. 
And that one day, we get messages coming to Job. And the uh, Sabian Raiders, uh, they were uh, tribes that lived in what's today like uh, southern part of Saudi Arabia and Yemen. They went in and, and they took 500 oxen and 500 donkeys and got rid of killed all the caretakers. And then he got the message that 7,000 sheep and their shepherds were burned up in fire from heaven. It fell from heaven. And then the camels and their herders were taken out by the Chaldeans. They lived near the area where Abraham came from. And so they came in and took over what they wanted. And that wasn't all. Uh, Job's sons and daughters, they were at a great feast and the winds blew the corners of the house down. The house fell on them. Kind of like the tower that Jesus talks about as the tower that fell. Um, and, they, and they come and ask him about that. The whole house fell and took out Job's family. And so Job, he arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So John's uh, Job's response to loss was to worship God and say, all I have comes from you. Everything comes from you. It's yours. And so after this, Satan went back and got permission to attack his health because he was like, because he was proven wrong that he took everything he had and he still worshiped God. So God told him, well, you can do that, but don't kill him. So he was stretched out his hand, touched his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face, Satan said. But the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. And so there were sores from the soles of his feet all to the crown of his head, and he would scrape himself while he sat in ashes and I was thinking about that because I know the ashes was a sign of mourning, uh, but also, if you ever watch any of the survival shows, like Naked and Afraid, when people have the bug bites and sores and, and they don't have any medicine, nothing, they get ashes from the fire and rub on their body to try to soothe their skin when it's all distressed. And so he was there trying to scrape off some of these sores with a broken piece of pottery. And his wife came. And I know that she, sometimes people paint her in a bad light, but I know she also was experiencing loss and grief and anger at this time. And she says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Just curse God and die. I mean, we have nothing left. We were at the top of the mountain and everything's gone. We're now, we're literally sitting in the ash pit. So just, just let's get this over with. And Job responds to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. He says it rains on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. But we all know that God is good. And so he did not sin still. Now Job's three friends show up. 
And uh, um, next, and uh, so Job's wife, she was the first one to give him some bad advice by telling him to do what she knew was wrong, to curse God. And then Elias and Zophar and Bildad came and. Also, I had a Elihu. He's one of the ones that shows up later. Is a lot of times left out. But they came, and for a week they were good friends. They were they were sitting with him and mourning for a week. And some uh, rabbis say this is one of the first examples of sitting shiva, where when someone has died, they would go and sit with the person and and try to care for them, and while they were mourning. And they would tear their, and even today, they'll wear like a black ribbon that's torn, and they'll uh, they won't shave, they won't they won't put on perfume, no makeup. All the mirrors in the house are covered because they're in time of mourning, and so they went and sat with him during this time. But then they started offering this advice. Now they had, they had. One of the ideas, they thought they were doing a good thing, but they had bad worldview. They had a bad worldview. And so Eliphaz tells him that, well, he knows for certain. He's even, like, had messages from God. He knows that Job is a sinner and that he should just go ahead and repent and get this done with because everyone knows that God punishes sinners. And if you're being punished, it's because you're a sinner. And then his next friend came in, Bildad. And Bildad, he tells him that, hey, I know you've been a good guy. Like, you know, I'm your friend. I'm your buddy. I, I know that you've been a good guy. But, you know, there's still that issue of you being punished. So there must be some sin there. And tries to tell him, but over and over, Job keeps telling them that he he's done no wrong in the sight of God, and and these things have happened. And Zophar comes in, and Zophar he you know has studied the law some, and was like, well, maybe it wasn't you. Maybe maybe your children's sin is being passed on to you, or maybe even your parents or grandparents sin long ago. And now it's time to pay the price. And you're the one stuck with the bill. And he said, that's not true. I just don't believe that God would do that. But they were representing what they knew at the time, their worldview, that, that God punishes sinners and that he rewards people that are good. And so Job became very depressed. And he was singing lament songs. He even started to say that he wished he'd never been born. He says at one part that even when he tries to lay down and sleep and take his mind off things, he gets awoken because he has nightmares. And he says, my couch will ease my complaint. But then, no, you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. So he can't even get a good night's rest anymore. And he can't... Um, he even starts to pray for death sometimes. And his friends come back to him again and try to get him to repent again. And he keeps saying, well, I, God is good. He is just. And I'm not saying God is unjust for punishing me, 
because he created justice. But I've searched my life and I've talked to God and I just, I don't know. And um, so he would refuse to, he said it would be worse to go before God and tell a lie than it would just be to, to take whatever was happening right then. And Zophar, the one that said that he knew a little bit about the way the law works, he's one of the, he, uh, he's one of the, uh, kind of the frenemies. Because, you know, he's Job's friend, but he comes in and at one point even tells Job, you deserve worse than this. Because we're all born sinners, so you deserve worse than you're getting. And, and um, that's the way you just like, you know, that friend that just comes and kicks you while you're down. But they're still your friend, kind of. And But Job, he continues and says, still, I'll hope in God. I'll hope in God is his refrain. He keeps saying that. And he says he knows that his Redeemer lives. On that last day, he'll see him. But right now, his flesh may be torn away. In the end, well, Elihu comes. And Elihu, he's a younger guy. And he comes in and says, well, you guys have gotten it all wrong. You guys have gotten it all wrong. I see, I know stuff. I'm a young guy, but I know stuff. And you're all doing it wrong. And then when people say, like, well, what would you do? He turns around and says the same thing. Well, you know, God does. He punishes sinners. So he wanted to make a show of himself, but he still had nothing to offer Job. He still was giving him bad advice. And finally, in the end, when God comes, God, he vindicates Job. See, because Job, he knew God's promises all along. He knew that, that no matter what happened, he would trust in God's promises. And when God arrived, he, he vindicated Job and says, Job is a righteous man. He's done. Well, at first he tells Job that, he says, Job, when Job was wondering why this had happened, he says, Job, you weren't there with me when I created things. You were not there with me when I organized things. But you're a good person. You haven't sinned against me. So some of these things just aren't for you to know. And then his friends, he turns to Job's friends and he tells them, I want to get his words right. <laughs> he says, My anger burns against you and against your friends. Uh, your two friends, that's what he tells Eliphaz. He says, for you have not spoken of me what is right. You are telling lies about the things that God believes, the things that God does, the things that God says. And he says, but my servant Job, he never said anything wrong. He never said a lie about me. He never spoke ill will about me. So my servant Job, if he prays for you, I'll forgive you. And so they have to get their burnt offerings of, of oxen and and they have to take them to Job. And I love this picture because we said before, this is before the time of the tabernacle and before the time of the temple. But a couple of weeks ago we said that, you know, our altar here is just a, a imitation of the altar in heaven. And the temple was just an imitation of what it's like in heaven. So even before there was a tabernacle, God had this idea that the priesthood, a righteous priest would have to go and 
and take, uh, make amends, be a step in, step in the gap for the people when they had sinned. And he said, the only person worthy to do that right then was Job. And he says, that you're sinners, I can't even take the offering directly from you. You have to go get Job to put it on the altar. And so after uh, Job prayed for him, he forgave his friends, and then he restored Job. And I, I said, like, you know, he uh, everything he had, he got back greater quantities, and his family was restored, and his house was restored, his riches, and, and the bandits had taken... 500 oxen, he got 1,000 oxen back. They killed uh, like 2,000 sheep, he got 4,000 back. And all of his servants too, because the servants lived in his household and they were trained, they were specialized servants. So like the, his household was great also and God restored it all. And that's the story of Job. I just want to make sure you're familiar with it and we can look and see what we can learn from it. Now, some of the big ideas is um, God is sovereign. He controls everything, right? That what's just and unjust. If somebody is in the White House you don't like, God's still in control. If somebody gets sick with COVID, God is still in control. Now, and Satan, he may, Satan may come against you for a season like he did Job, but even in those dark days, God is still in control. God is sovereign. Now his wife, she tried, she was the first one that gave him bad advice to do what was wrong, but she was hurting also. And so in our daily lives, we need to remember that sometimes when people talk to us, some of the things that they say, we can't always listen to them with the same, with the same forcefulness because they are hurt also. We got to take into account like why they're saying this. And Job was a righteous man; he was married to her, and so we have to, you know. And he even seemed shocked that she was saying this at the time. Says you're sounding like these other people, and so he you have to take into account when people are hurt. Sometimes they say hurtful things. That's one of the big ideas we can take. So just don't take what hurting people are saying as anxiety. And then, like, his friends, some of them were sincere. Like I said, you know, they came with him to, to sit Shiva with him. But um, they also had bad advice. And there was, a, 900 years ago, there was this rabbi called Memonides. And he went through and he tried to study this. And he says, it's amazing because all of Job's friends, they are different ways to look at the different denominations in Judaism and how they uh, study the Torah. And though he says that, like, you know, like uh, Eliphaz, who had a special revelation, he reminds me of the Pharisees. And then, like, Bildad, who, like, uh, he said that, like, we know you've done good, but then there must be these secret things. He, the way he approaches uh, Torah reminds me of the scribes. And he goes on in different schools that the things were. But then in the end, he, uh, in his uh, book he wrote on Job 900 years ago, he still said, but in the end, I guess, why did Job suffer? It's one of those mysteries. And he had no answer for it. But that's because he was an Orthodox Jew and didn't have 
the Gospel of John. We have the Gospel of John. John chapter 9, Jesus, something similar is happening. Jesus tells his friends. Now, if you're a new believer or even you've been studying a long time and there's some things you don't know about Christianity, things you don't know about the way things are supposed to work or things you don't know about our faith, don't worry because John chapter 9, the disciples who walked with Jesus every day and heard his teachings firsthand when they saw someone that was born blind, they didn't know how, what to make of this. They said, but, but Rabbi, who sinned here? Did this man sin before he was born? Or did his parents sin and the sins are being, uh, uh, he's being punished for their sins, that's why he's blind? And Jesus says, no, he was born blind to glorify God. And he heals the blind man. And and at that point, everybody around sees and glory to God. And we see that the power of God was still moving then. And I think that's one of the reasons like Job, God let Job suffer. Because now, this has been, uh, since the time of Abraham, several thousand years. And people are still saying, look at how good God is. These bad things may have happened to Job. But God is the author of justice. He still has a plan for each of us. He is still sovereign. No matter what's happening, when we're, if we're sitting on a golden throne or if we're like laying in a ditch, God is there. And he's still with us and he's still sovereign. And so Mammonites, he didn't have that uh, John 9, so he couldn't, he couldn't interpret it the way we do. And so moving forward, what can, when we leave here, what can we do? I say, um, if you're listening to this today, you're this day and you're not a believer, the Bible has something, has useful information for you also. You see, it says, look at the person that's coming to you. If somebody's coming to tell you things, if you're a believer or a non-believer, you need to just don't exact, take everything that people say on face value. Examine where they're coming from. My uncle Robert, I used to have a, uh, uh, I used to get frustrated with him a lot because he didn't understand the point of advertising, I think. And he'd always say, but they say that this works wonders. And I said, you got to examine why they're saying that, though. They were paid to tell people this works wonders. <laughs> and so even if you're an unbeliever, that's one of the things you need to learn from Job is to examine why people are saying things. Because people like Elihu in the story, he was saying things to, to uh, pump himself up, to put himself. He'd come in and say, everybody's wrong. I know what's right. Because he was there to promote himself. And so we need to be careful that some of our friends are telling us advice or trying to get us to do things. Are they trying to promote themselves? Are they trying to sell us something? And uh, believers, we need to uh, be more discerning to who we listen to because God has a plan for us. He knows that how he's going to prosper us. He knows the plan he has for our life. And the plan he has for my life may not be the same plan he has for Michael's or for Frank and Phyllis. We have, he has different plans for our lives. So the thing that helps you in your walk is not the same thing that'll help me. So we need to make sure we examine 
what they're saying and then examine if it fits with God's plan for our life. How do we know God's plan for our life? Prayer and reading the Bible. I know that a lot of times people want some big idea of like, wow, a secret way to know God's, uh, like his, what he thinks, a secret way to know God's plans. But we pray to God, we read the Bible. And these are his words. He breathed these words out. Some people will come and say, I've, uh, I've heard a message directly from God. And I said, I have too. What message is your page on? <laughs> and the church, the church, we have to be careful who we listen to because there's people out there in the name of Christ spreading doctrines of demons. One of those doctrines is one we, they've been spreading for millennia that they were spreading in the time of Job. And it's called the doctrine of karma. And karma says, like Job's friends, that if you do good, you get rewards. If you do bad, you get punishment. I've even heard preachers say this. I've heard people say, well, you put you, what you do uh, put out there, if you're doing bad things, then you're going to get smited. If you do good things, you'll get prosperity. If you sow seeds in this ministry, God will turn around and open his checkbook for you. Or, or if you do this certain thing, then God will give you special blessings or special. But all that is a doctrine called karma. And karma is the opposite of grace. Karma says that you get what you deserve, you get what you put in. But we live under grace. Grace is we don't get what we deserve. We get a beautiful gift that Jesus gives us that we could not work for. And that's one of the things that we, we get. He gives it to us through grace, not through our works, not through our hard work. And so the one person that... Job always listened to that was his redeemer. He even says there, he says that he knows on the last day, no matter what happens, that he's going to see his redeemer face to face. Even if his body is torn away, he goes in even graphic detail talking about how the, even if his eyes and flesh are gone, there's nothing left. Somehow or another, there will be a resurrection because on that last day, he's going to see his redeemer. And he believed that his Redeemer was coming. And he lived thousands of years before Jesus was born. And, but he knew that one day the Redeemer's coming. And we know that and from Hebrews that people like Abraham and Job, this faith that the Redeemer is coming is how they were proven to be righteous. How they were proven that God accounted them their faith like Job showed here, their faith was accounted them as righteousness. And so, we get ready to leave. I want, uh, want us to see that there is a, just the different things we need to do when we leave here. The ways we need to listen. Come back to the idea of listening to what other people are saying, where they're coming from. Because we have to discern, be better judges discerning what they're saying and the one person we have to always measure it up to is we have to listen to God we have to listen to him first 
and measure everything everyone else says to that. And that's how we would get those same promises of restoration that Job had. Amen.